This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 3rd of December 2021, episode number 432. And Norman, we've talked a lot about the Omicron variant this week, almost ad nauseum. I don't know if you're feeling nauseous. Maybe that's just maybe that's just stress. But the reality is you're much more likely to come across a different strain of coronavirus if you are to encounter it, probably, uh, at least in Australia at the moment. Remember Delta and Alpha? So one of the questions that we get most commonly from our audience is about how to protect themselves against the virus. And there's actually some fresh research out just this week about different approaches to protecting yourself from the virus. And one of them is about just how effective a previous infection is against being reinfected. Of course, we're not recommending that people actually go out and do that, though. So we're not comparing here the vaccine versus natural infection, but we're just looking at the effect of natural infections. This is quite an interesting study from the UK where they looked at older people in residential aged care and they looked at staff and residents. And they looked at uh, recruited a cohort of staff and residents in mid-2020 and then they followed them through to early 2021. And so they were able to compare people who'd had infection before to not and then what happened to them afterwards. And the short answer to the question is that um, people who had had infection before had two features. One, low antibody response. Sounds familiar? You know, the the declining neutralizing antibody that you get after immunization. Well, the same thing happened to this group that after their initial infection, their antibodies started to disappear and got to very low levels. Yet, when they were exposed to the virus, they had a small fraction of the risk of reinfection compared to people who had not been infected. So in other words, and that was maybe a seventh of the risk, it really was quite a dramatic reduction in terms of the risk of reinfection. Their immune system, and this goes to what we talked about yesterday, I think it was, when we talked about T-cells and T-cells being the repository of the memory of either a vaccine or a previous infection and that they fire up the immune system when you're re-exposed to what they remember from before and they can also attack the virus themselves. So they did a pretty good job of uh, fighting back. It seemed to last maybe up to nine months, this response, but I think as long as they were looking at it. And the people who had not had a previous infection had about seven times the risk of being infected for the first time. So, I mean, don't get COVID if you can help it, but if you do get it, it does seem to protect you against future infections. What about um, the variants though, Norman? Because you said that this study started in mid-2020, like we were still kind of dealing with the OG strain at that time. Yep. So it was the ancestral strain and then it moved into the alpha and it seemed to be protective against both. So that's good news. And was the protection against severe disease in those people that did get it? Well, interestingly, reading the paper in some detail, I can't see that they've reported that. So I don't think we know that. You'd infer that it was, but it's not reported. And then the other paper that I wanted to talk about is about um, two of the vaccines that we have here in Australia, Moderna and Pfizer. And earlier in the pandemic, we were really talking about them as being like similar. We're talking about how similar they were, but they do have some differences. And one study has kind of compared them head to head on effectiveness. And there is a winner. Yes, this is a this is a study of uh, electronic health records of uh, American veterans who either had Pfizer or Moderna, and they'd had that between January and May of this year, and that's when the Alpha variant was dominated, and the follow up actually did go through to the Delta period as well, though I think it's mostly Alpha. 
you know, it's quite a large group, 219,000 people, nearly 220,000, 24 weeks of follow-up. So it's decent follow-up. And what they found basically, without going into the weeds in terms of the details, is that Moderna won the shootout with fewer events per 1,000 people. The bottom line here is good protection from both. But there was between a 23% and 44% increased protection with Moderna compared to Pfizer, 23% being for uh, any infection, 44% for symptomatic disease. And that makes it sound as if Pfizer was terrible, but this is against the background that they both brought it down to incredibly low levels. But there's been very little research comparing head-to-head Pfizer with Moderna or indeed Astra. This was a Pfizer-Moderna head-to-head comparison, albeit... Um, not a trial, but just following a group of people through. And uh, it shows that Moderna has the edge. Why would this be? Because Moderna's got like a, it's like a stronger mix, isn't it? So Moderna has got a higher dose of mRNA. So the dose of mRNA in Pfizer is about 30 micrograms. It's 100 micrograms in Moderna. Moderna goes for a four-week gap between doses and Pfizer goes for a three-week gap. So it might be a combination of dose and giving giving your immune system a time to settle in before you you re-immunise at four weeks, combination of the two. So Pfizer, don't chuck it in the bin, but Moderna uh, does seem to have at least a slight edge here. Yeah. Well, Norman, it is Friday today and you know what that means. Yes, Quick Fire Friday. Quick Fire Friday. We've got heaps of questions that have been thrown up thanks to this pesky Omicron variant. So let's get into them. Kate's wondering, in theory, how would the more traditional vaccines, in quotation marks, like Novavax, perform against this new variant? She says, we've talked about second generation vaccines previously and is wondering whether there's other vaccines in the works that might be more effective against Omicron. And she's saying perhaps they don't focus on the spike protein. Let's start at the end of that question very quickly. Is that the vaccines like Sinovac, which don't focus on the spike protein and focus on the whole virus, are less effective than the spike protein vaccines. And most of the vaccines in development, even second generation ones, focus on the spike but in different ways, and we just don't know whether uh, you know the extent to which Novavax can perform well against this new variant. Although Novavax, like the other vaccines, is relatively easy to switch to new variants, so I'm told. So before we go to the next question, Norman, I've got a question about what you just said about Sinovac not targeting this. You don't get a question on a Quick Fire Friday. Oh, I get all the questions all the time. <laughs> Who do you think runs this show? If it's not targeting the spike protein with this whole killed virus vaccine, does that mean it'll be better against Omicron because there's just more bits of the virus that the body can learn to recognise? It's possible, but probably unlikely since the a lot of the action in terms of how this virus gets into our body and the effect that it has in the body is, is around the spike protein. But it'd be nice if the Sinovac uh, was more effective against the variant, but it hasn't shown to be the case with previous variants. Salma's saying if there is a T-cell response, that immune memory you were talking about before, why are we concerned about the immunity from vaccines waning? Can you help us understand the need for boosters despite the T-cell response? It largely comes from uh, Israeli and British data, which shows that correlated with the waning antibody response, particularly in the elderly, is a waning protection against infection and a waning protection against severe disease. Now, the waning protection against severe disease is not huge, but it is there. Uh, So it's practical data in the real world rather than theoretical based on just antibody measures. Scarlett's saying, we mentioned yesterday, Norman, that about 30 of the 50 mutations of Omicron are in the spike protein. So where are the other 20 mutations and what could they be responsible for changing, if anything? Um, Well, I, I just don't think we know that yet. Most of the action is in the spike 
but that's not to say that the body of the virus isn't important, but we just don't know that yet. And one last question from Helen, who's breastfeeding her son, and she's saying, if my immunity from antibodies is waning, but she should still get protection from her T-cells, what does that mean for the immunity of her breastfeeding son? If you're under six months from your second dose, you're probably producing quite a lot of antibodies. So you haven't waned as much as people who are, say, over 50 or 60. So you're probably in pretty good shape in terms of transferring antibodies to your young son. So I think I think embedded in this question is that we know that antibodies pass through the breast milk to a baby. We've talked about that before on this podcast, but I think Helen's asking whether T-cells might as well. There is some evidence, yes, that T-cells are actually transferred in breast milk. So it's possible that the baby does get protected against T-cells and maybe, and there is some evidence that those T-cells do train the baby's immune system. So who knows? Good news central here at Coronacast today. I'm sure that there are immunologists that know. And if you are one of those immunologists, write to us at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And if you're not one, you can write to us anyway. Send us your questions and comments and we'll be back on Monday. See you then. 